The following program may contain content not suitable for all audiences. You been busy? Uh, yeah, I'm getting this Kickstarter. Well, it's launched today, but I've been yeah. getting the Kickstarter ready. I uh, finished I finished a bunch of games recently, and I have kind of a full schedule for the rest of the year, so I'm not giving myself any room to slack. I see. I saw a couple updates come through from you on, on a couple things. Yeah, I've got oh. a superhero game coming next after this new one home. And then later in the year, I'm doing something called Banshee that's been sitting on the shelf for nearly a decade. So it's, oh, it's cool. got to get out. I imagine it's like anything else with um, with anything you craft. If you put it down or set it aside for that long and it's still bugging you, <laughs> there's something worth getting out there. Yeah, and there's <laughs> 200 plus pages done for it, right? So it's right. not... It's not something I can even throw away, even if I wanted to. There's just too much work has been done on it. Um, I already have art for it. I only have five pieces, but I'm going to get more. But I already have Uh some art for it. And there was another writer on the project, so I can't screw him. Right, Uh, right, right. It needs to go out. It's just there's always something else in my mind of, oh, I just came up with this idea and I got to do this. Right. Well, that's the the bane of uh, anybody who's creative, obviously. Yeah, you. It was when you do that and it's sitting for a long time like that. Do you do you like go back over it and end up having to just change a whole bunch of shit? Or you just like, <laughs> um, not. I didn't have to change anything about the setting, fortunately, because the setting is just so rich in traditional fantasy role playing. Oh yeah, that, you know, all I have to do is double check. Oh, am I saying anything that could be interpreted as not diverse enough or? You know, we, we're getting better about saying species instead of race in fantasy yeah, games. The, the current standards kind of. Yeah. So I just have to fix things like that. But um, the helpful part is uh, I, enough time passes and you have those bathroom moments where, you're, oh, I can do this with the game. Um, and right. you, you can't do that if you have if you're rushing a game out in six months. That's probably true. It doesn't give you as much to uh, much to work with. And let's see here. I'm trying to make sure I'm recording this right. Give me one second. <laughs> I'm giving you my A game here. My A game. Oh, it's, it's not, not going recording. anywhere. It's not going anywhere. Yeah, I'm just hang being on, funny. Hang on. <laughs> I tried recording a podcast yesterday with somebody and it all fell apart. Uh, we got so far off from the original topic that we weren't talking about anything. Okay. Seems to be recording fine. So we're going to trust it. Okay. And um, I will uh, kick myself later if that wasn't the way to go. <laughs> Ironic. I mean, the thing is, I, I, I have the ability still to do it the way I used to, used to do it and all through all to an outboard recorder. But my uh, we've been doing uh, like cleaning carpets and stuff. Mm-hmm. And our house is an absolute wreck because things are all in different rooms. Literally, our rooms are in different rooms, you know, because you'd clear all the furniture out of a room to do carpets. So you'd have to pile it in another room and then move stuff around. And, you know, we're living in our in one of our, in our daughter's room. Daughter's living in her son's room. And um, my desk is actually my office is set up now in our bedroom, which is a disaster. So it's like, yeah. I don't know where the stupid recorder is. So, <laughs> so yeah, I, I could do it the other way, but I don't want to spend an hour looking for the thing and not be sure. Right. Uh, but I'm, it looks like everything's working here. So we're just going to roll with it. We are certainly in a situation here where we've outgrown this house. It's only a thousand square feet. Oh, a tiny, huh? Yeah. 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 It's three bedroom, but they're small rooms. Yeah. yeah and yeah. I own so many books, right? That's the vein <laughs> of being a writer and a researcher is that, I don't know, somewhere in the neighborhood of a thousand books, if not more. So there's all these bookshelves and there's no space for anything else. There's no space to live. I can only imagine, you know, it, it, after after a while, it gets crazy if you if you if you collect. We've been here for five years in this house, and we never thought we'd last this long because it was a you know, sort of a let's grab something now, so we're not paying rent anymore. 
Right. So there's still stuff in boxes. There's still stuff in the garage that's in boxes. I've never <laughs> that's unpacked. Funny. That's funny. Yeah. No, I, I, I get that. I, I really think uh, everything feels temporary when you don't know what the long-term plan is. Right. Right. And and how can any of us know? Yeah. You know, because especially when you, especially when what you do in life is, um, it, 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 not that it's temporary, but it, it changes constantly. It right. feels like the texture of it is changing. I mean, this this is going to be lucrative this year, but not this year. People are going to be interested this year, but not this year. You know, um, I'll come up with something new and go this completely different direction. I, I don't know. I mean, did you see Phil Reed was releasing an album or something? Yeah, I backed it. I backed <laughs> that it. That is so awesome. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love Phil. He's great. I, I really uh, I really feel like when people, I mean, completely completely out of the blue like that, when I have, yeah. you know, I have no idea what you do other than the things I know you do, yeah. you know, and, and you, you come up with something, some project or product that shows a completely different, you know, and, and of course, I mean, it feels the kind of guys like he's got his, um, his toys, you know, his, yeah. his passion for the toys and the action figures. So he's already had this other kind of side of him that I've known for a while and then see something else come out like that. I, I just love learning more about the people that I feel connected to because of their work. I, uh, I did a book of poetry recently. I, I think only 40 people backed it, but I did it as a Kickstarter. And um, uh, I think Richard got a copy, uh, our, our friend Rich. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, it was really neat. He was showing some of that to me. I, I felt like um, I feel like that's, that takes a lot of, a lot of guts to some, <laughs> to some degree. Certainly in this hobby to let gamers see that side of me, right? Because we're not necessarily an emotional crew and you're also less likely to get the kind of compliments or feedback you would expect from a literary environment. That's true. That's true. And so nobody has said anything to me. Nobody's come back and said, I really like this poem or that poem or whatever. I was surprised um, when I um, released my first book a couple years ago now. I, your novel? Yeah. Yeah. I hope to have the second one out by now, but the pandemic wasn't cooperating with me for some reason. I thought all that extra time, all that extra time, yeah. I gotta get something done. That I is not what happened last year at all. Oh, gosh, it, no motivation, I think, is a lot of it. Nobody, but that was that's true for everybody, right? <laughs> Nobody got anything done last year. It's insane. Anyway, when I, when I released that book, I, I feel like it was surprised me. I mean, you've always got the the friends and fans who are people that just will you know support whatever you do, right? And that's important, you know. And then you build those relationships and you build that rapport and and you have that back and forth, so you know what they like and what they respond to and why. Uh, but with something like that, it was a completely different monster than anything I do in the gaming world. Yeah. So what do I get? And, and so many of the people that backed it were people I'd never heard from before. You know, they weren't, they weren't the people that come to my convention or, or listen to the show or anything like that. Yeah. I, I had no idea. I, and so I, I felt real. I found myself feeling really shy about it. And I go to the conventions where we do, uh, you know, I'd support the community and I do like, uh, do like shows, you know, do interviews and stuff with, with people and, and hang out and we'd take the tea and we'd sell the tea at a booth and all that. But then we go ahead and my wife would set up my book at a little end cap over there. And occasionally someone would buy it and I didn't know what to say when they wanted to talk to me. <laughs> right. right. I <laughs> That's all I got. I, yeah, I remember my first time at a game convention talking about something I'd actually made. Oh, yeah. It's very different than doing it now, right? Now mm -hmm. it's, okay, well, this is what the game does. I don't know what you play and what you don't play, so... I'll either get really in depth or just give them the the spiel and then oh, they're on their way. But the first time you're standing there with something that you've made, you're either glowing with pride or you're you feel like a fraud. Oh, just so harsh. And, and you're going to be always be harder on yourself, obviously, than other. Absolutely, people. absolutely. Which I think and, is important. unless you're. I think unless you're a narcissist, right? If you're a narcissist, it's a little different. Um, Sometimes but I think that, if that would you make have, things easier. <laughs> I think it would. I think it would. 
or just having no concept of shame. If you didn't know what shame was, I think you could just walk in there and go, look what I made. For a lot of years, my my job was putting, you know, training people to be on the air uh, in radio. And I always told people, I said that the best show, especially morning shows, but the best hosts, you know, the best, uh, especially doing kind of talk were the ones who were absolutely convicted that 50,000 people wanted to hang on every word they said. (laughs) (laughs) They were good at their job. They were a pain in the ass to work with, but they were so good at their job. And and that's what it took. You had to find the narcissistic ones who would like, just like they walked in there and they were just absolutely dead certain that what they said was important enough that they said it with confidence. They said it with clarity and they did it again and again. They laughed at their own jokes. If the jokes were good, we kept them. If not, I guess they found another job, but I, I really, uh, I really learned a lot. (laughs) I also learned that I didn't want to be the guy on the air. (laughs) Really? You didn't like being on? Oh, that's funny. I did not like being on the air. I was in radio for 15 years, too. I took a radio class at the local college a couple of years ago. Oh, did you really? Yeah, I never got to be on the air, but you get to practice uh, in the class. That's something I'm surprised they still do. It's it's such a, I I mean, I I guess I could be pretty down on the industry now that I've been out of it for a while, but it's a really, really not a growth industry at this point. Oh, yeah. No, not at all. And I I don't think they're expecting people to turn the class into a career. I Mm -hmm. don't see how they could. But it's a small local college. They actually have their own radio station. So if you'd gotten good enough, you could have yeah. a slot in the middle of the night kind of yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. I did, uh, when I was out in Western Kansas, we did a lot with the, co- the junior colleges and stuff out there who had stations. Because yeah. anybody could get a stick back then. So it was neat. I, I, I was always excited to meet people who loved the idea. But I, I, I can tell you, I, I can count the number of people on one hand that I hired out of college that actually stayed with it. Right. You know, the ones who thought they thought they want to do it because they went to school once they got into the commercial radio business. It wasn't fun. They're not the same kind of fun, I guess. What's what's interesting about radio now is with podcasts and with all these other avenues of communicating with people. Do we really need radio stations anymore? Very good question. Uh, the the trick is that because we still have radios in our cars, it right. feels like it's still a free service. You know, it's the it's the only thing you can do that you don't have to pay for. I mean, we have we all have our phones because we pay for them. We have right. cable TV because we pay for it. You know, right. we don't. You know, the radio is just there, and that stuff's put out there on the air. Doesn't cost you anything to engage with it right and i i actually love listening to radio when i'm in the car yeah right? yeah yeah. i oh. i used to <laughs> I, i'm a little jaded now <laughs> i just there, it is a way for me to access information that i'm not getting sure. through through facebook or through twitter or instagram or whatever right my local steam cleaner guy has a commercial and he's talking to me about something and oh I didn't know that there were that many fibers of blah, blah, blah in my right, carpet. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Interesting. And I, then you research it, you find out it's not true, but it's still an <laughs> engagement, right? That's going on with something you outside of your comfort zone. And I think radio has that value still. You know, it's funny. The um, For the longest time, especially when I was younger, the last thing I ever thought I would be interested in having anything to do with was talk radio. And I did, um, you know, when I got into radio, I ran music formats. I was a, I was a PD for a program director for a, a like a country station then an oldie station and then a, an adult contemporary station we were in the sticks so nobody did rock or anything that i really wanted to do until i'd been at it for a while and had the you know was in a position to actually influence that stuff you know and and bring something to the market and i was in middle management for about 10 years i really enjoyed that programming element being back there doing it but when we when i finally had the chance to really take the reins of putting together a news talk format a really 
you know, a full service, they call full service radio station. It was the coolest experience, you know, everything about it. And I didn't even like some of the programming because we're, our, our owners were, um, were, were of a different political leaning than I was. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that uh, wasn't necessarily stuff I wanted to air, but the, the challenge of putting the other kind of programming and engaging people. And then all of our uh, morning programming was all local, you know, so I, I had the opportunity to work with people to put, you know, to do interviews and put local clients on the air and all the stuff we got to do social uh, social programming. You know, community interest stuff. It was just it was just a great experience. I, I mean, I, I only did it for a couple of years before I left that that station, but I think that probably taught me more being in radio than anything I'd ever done programming. You know, when like Zeppelin was going to be on the air, it just was a different experience. I, I enjoyed it a lot, and you know, I hope that there's still a market for out there. Out there, it's probably why podcasting comes naturally to me too, because it's obviously talk radio. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's shocking that you say that you didn't like being on the air, but then you still have a podcast and you're really good. It is. And you have so many episodes. It, it is uh, still a little surreal to me at times. I mean, I did it well when I was on. I, I always felt like I was pretty good at it, but I, I never had um, a passion for it. I always felt like it was part of the job. When I had a chance to, you know, most people would loathe moving into middle management because they didn't want to lose that, you know, the, the fun of just walking in getting on the air and playing music for four hours and, and jabbering and, and going to a remote or going to production and, and then going home. You know, it was a, it was an easy job for a lot of the jocks, but you know, I moved into management because I loved the organization and the challenges of, of directing and, and, you know, scheduling and programming and making it all better and better and, and you know, get the numbers up and all that. So I enjoyed that a lot. Uh, then I moved to a major market and found out how much I didn't know. And uh, that kind of changed my <laughs> expectations a right. little. But when I got out, I was out of radio for less than a year before I started the podcast. I just couldn't do it. It's like, I, I got to talk. <laughs> <laughs> who knew yes i well we've met we've actually hung out in person so i know yeah. you love to talk well and, and i i found you know an opportunity to talk about something i love i mean that's really all it takes yeah before then the most fun i'd ever had on the air was when i was running a blues program and all request blues you know on our on a classic rock station and i had a great time doing it because it was music that i didn't hear all the time i got to bring stuff that other people didn't get to hear all the time and, and the fans of that kind of music are rabid and i mean i got out there and played in blues bands so you know i right. had a connection to our fan base because it was all in that same kind of you know cume area there geographically but yeah it's not the same obviously getting on on here and talking about gaming and stuff because you never know who you're on so i had a uh i have a new patron on my patreon this weekend who i've never heard from before i mean that's so exciting <laughs> it, it right. kills me you know most of them are like people that come and go who you know have at least written into the show or or something, you know, or come to the convention. I met them in person, something. But yeah, I just, I just, I always get a little tickled when I hear from somebody that I've never heard from before, and it's out of the blue, especially when it's financial support like that. That's huge. I don't take yeah. that for granted, you know. So, uh, Tom, if you happen to be listening, thank you. <laughs> Appreciate you. Tom's not giving me any money, so I don't. I'm not going to thank. Yeah, you. screw that guy. Yeah, <laughs> screw Tom. <laughs> Jeez, Tom, really? But he could. You have a Kickstarter. Let's talk yeah, about yeah. I, well, oh, I, I guess I should be nice to Tom now. But maybe hey, Tom, I've got a Kickstarter coming, buddy. We're best friends, right? Uh, and, and this was, was um, this game is a game I know, sort of. Yeah, yeah, that. yeah. So it's a new, a, not a new edition. It's a new way of playing a game you already know. Mm -hmm. So I do the Protocol series. There's 70 plus games in the series now. Is that all? The, 
that's all. <laughs> um, the very first one was called Home, and it's probably still my favorite. I, a lot of people consider it their favorite. It's probably so the good. best selling of the series. So good. And uh, I'm doing a 90 page version of it versus the 30 page that everybody's used to. And it comes with uh, more advice on how to play this kind of game, more charts, um, uh, a little more in depth explaining the roles. And then there's new backgrounds. There's uh, more world building questions. There's finales now, which the game didn't used to have. So, uh, which was one of the things that people had always asked for, for home is I wanted to keep playing. So I made four different ways to end the game and you play for two more scenes in one of these four different endings. Oh, cool. Um, not two more scenes, two more times around the table. Sorry. Right. Um, and of course that's optional, right? If you find that that doesn't work for you make, or you've written make a the weird game a little story. longer too. Yeah, 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 yeah. But it satisfies those people that wanted that. And so it ends up being 90 pages and it's got new art and it's better presentation in terms of graphic design. Because uh, the original is designed that you, you shouldn't be eating up all the ink in your printer if you decide to print the PDF at home. Kind of minimalist. Yeah, yeah but this is 90 pages. I know you're not going to print this PDF. Probably not. So uh, it's got nicer sideboards. It's got more art in it. And it's just a generally more deluxe edition of home. Uh, and so that's what, yeah, that's what the Kickstarter is. Do you remember when that was a thing, printing the PDFs? You know, it's like, <laughs> huh. I Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, part of it would be you'd want the book for your table so you could yeah. share players or something. Now it's like, I can't even imagine so much material that only ever see in ones and zeros. Yeah, I, I wouldn't do it any other way. I use, I mean, of course, most of us use you know devices at the table now, so it's not like a big deal. There, there's there are two pages in every protocol that you might want to print out and have at the table, the scene and location charts. Mm -hmm. um, and so I know a lot of people that have done that, but right, you wouldn't print the whole thing. But yeah, I still right. wanted to make it so that you weren't eating up all your ink when I made the previous editions of Protocols. Now, I, the, I played the original Protocol, and you did, you've had Protocol squared out for a while. Yes. So you've had plenty of chance to kind of... I mean, do you feel at this point like it's... It, 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 has it, have you have you tested it to sufficiently to say this is exactly what it needs to be, or do you think you're going <laughs> to chew on it some more? Because Well, I don't want to do every game into a Protocol squared because it's just too much work. It is, I bet um, it is, yeah. But I the first one I did was house of keys um and now this one home and then i'm going to do one for the a world called vasa that's coming it'll be four games one is elves one is dwarves one's orcs one's humans they're all set in the same world with their own unique conflicts oh cool but they're really dense they're going to end up being very dense versions of protocol squared so you'll be end up you'll probably get end up getting 120 to 140 page version of the game each time it's really hard unless people have played the game it's probably really hard to kind of create an expectation of what that means because the system itself isn't what makes it that way right you know, that is it, correct it's the it's the material <laughs> it's it's right. the content, the stuff you have to work with. Right. It, it's, I, yeah. yeah. I was having a conversation with somebody recently about why I don't like Powered by the Apocalypse. And it's not that it's a bad system or anything. I think Vincent did a great job with the very first game. But yeah, you mentioned that before. The Apocalypse World was really good. Yeah. If you are bringing your old sensibilities to the game and you're not looking at the new context that's providing it, context is a dirty word in gaming because a lot of people can't wrap their head around what, what that means to the overall design of a thing. But if you bring your old sensibilities and you're not exploring the new context of Apocalypse World, you're missing out on a layer of gameplay. And the same is true for what I do with Protocol and all these minimalist games I make. The context is created. If you go to the Kickstarter page, I've shown an example of how to make a character on the first update. 
if you don't really immerse yourself in that entire process of making a character and engage with everybody else, you're missing out on a whole layer of who you are in the context of this game. And mm-hmm. so you're adding to the canon. Everything that you do adds to the canon of this unique story you create every time you play it. Right. And that comes from, for me, that comes from my design ideas of every time I sit down and I play a board game, I want that board game to feel different from the last time I played it. Or, you know, if we sit down and we play module B2 from D&D, it should feel different each time we do it. It shouldn't be a paint by numbers kind of experience. And I really wanted home to be one of those games and all <laughs> protocols to be one of those games where you could play it 50 times and it's 50 different games. Interesting comparison there since Keep on the Borderlands was the one where the DM had to do most of the filling and stuff themselves. <laughs> right, right. Yeah, yeah, it's the one that everybody knows is why I yeah. use an example, but you're absolutely right. It's funny. I, I, I get it. I really do. I think uh, from the what I've gotten to play, and I haven't played any of the Protocol Squared stuff. I've looked through some of the books. Um, I haven't got a chance to play any of the Squared. I, I really feel like um, the, I mean, everything you've done with the the game and, and the way the, the gameplay is, Obviously, the more you the more you try it, the more you get into it. And there's so many games to pick from, so many with all these different themes and genres and concepts. That's just the stuff, you know, right. that you've come up with and put out there so far. And I, I really feel like um, you know, you do it a couple of times, you it's not hard to get a grip on it. No. You know, it's, it's a different kind of game. If you're not used to it, it's a different kind of game. But uh, you know, just kind of read through it, see exactly what it is that's expected of you, get, or find somebody that's played this game or similar games so they can kind of give you, you know, heads up what you're getting into. To. Once you play it, there's nothing scary about it, and it gets easier and easier to make it work right. for you. Come with ways to engage, and and it's it's really neat. You, and you do a lot of great stuff. You put a lot in there that makes it. Um, accessible, I think. Not just. I appreciate. Dis- it. I don't know how to respond to compliments, so I just I, say I appreciate that. I say I don't actually compliment you most of the time, so I get. I get yeah, that. yeah, yeah. It's a, this is also very <laughs> alien territory we're entering. Um, I got fair. to play the the crows game with your team last time I was out there in Wichita. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and we told one of the best protocol stories I've ever told. And uh, Jess and I played in House of Keys, the previous edition, not the Protocol Square, but just the regular Protocol. Oh yeah, with these yeah, three yeah. strangers, and easily, easily the best session of any protocol I've ever played. That's awesome. And they weren't even from the story movement, right? They were just traditional right. role players. People sitting down and checking out because we, I, I know we had to like get you out here a couple of times to get you involved in our community. By the second time, by the seemed like by the second time I had you down for the con, people had heard people talk about the first time. And then we had, um, we had like uh, Tad and, and Jesse pushing the game at our game day events locally and, right. and just trying to make it uh, something that, that was a little more of a household name for our local community. And it really seemed to show people People were willing to try something different. I love that. I should name drop right now. Tad is doing the editing on this version of Protocol Squared Home. Oh, excellent. So I, I brought him and he usually does a lot of proofreading for me on various projects. But this time he's I have him doing all the editing. He's telling me, uh, I think you should put this in this order. I think this needs more content. So he's actually getting really involved with the the book more so than just you misspelled there. You you feel like he's you feel like you got a good rapport there. He's he's good at Tad and I get along great. I don't know if he likes me, but I like Tad. Well, I don't think so. he'd put up with you this long. <laughs> Tad's pretty hey, cool. I, though. I think he's in gaming for the for the the booze and the chicks. I think that's, that's absolutely probably, why yeah. Tad got involved. Yeah, you know what? I mean, he uh he is such a cool character. You know, whenever we whenever we do any event and he's there, he's that guy. He he walks in and he's 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 polite and he's he's yeah. quiet and then he sits down at the table and he turns into a role-playing monster yeah yeah absolutely and, and just really brings it to life i i love gaming with him I, I, and i think that's the ultimate comic right he he mm-hmm. seems nebbish 
And I'm not yeah. saying that in a horrible way. <laughs> he seems yeah. rubbish. And then as yeah. soon as the veil comes off and he's in character, who the hell right. am I gaming with? Who's this guy? You're making me look bad. He actually, we're doing a spring, uh, a spring event this year, that the game fair that mm-hmm. um, I, ha- I had you uh, revise my terrible logo for me. Yeah. The uh, uh, game fair is coming up uh, April 30th through May 2nd. And Tad is actually signed up to run, of all things, a Ryotama game. Ryotama. Yeah. It's, I don't it's, know what it's that a, is. It is a, um, like a Japanese RPG that is focused on... The only reason I know this is because Jonica, for some reason, backed it on Kickstarter a couple years ago when they were doing an English like translation and release and it's uh it's 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 kind of a, a got a traditional fantasy feel but it has a lot of rules built around this kind of mechanic of it all being about the story that these heroes live and the journey you know to get from one place to another in their life and there's these kind of elemental dragon spirits that kind of watch the whole thing and, and record it and sometimes get involved in weird ways i read through the book and i was like i don't know if this is be i don't know if this would be fun but jonica was really excited i think she's going to play in tad's game <laughs> So, so that's wow. I've not heard of it at all. Yeah, and I'm not sure how old the game is. I want to say yeah. it was probably like three or four years ago because I I remember she got an extra copy to give away uh, at an event when we did the Kickstarter. She got an extra copy, so we had. Uh, but I don't think she ever got to run it. She intended to, and something happened, and uh, we never got back to it. So it's been sitting on my shelf. I've looked at it a time or two and thought interesting, but you know, it's it's academic, right? You you look at this all this stuff that's been done and the ground that's been covered, and you wonder, you know, there's there's always is there is there always something here that's really great? Is there is there you know, is, is everybody missing the mark, you know, and how much time do I spend playing, you know, different games all the time? If you don't try new stuff, you never know. One of the things I always worry about when I see a, a new product is how much ground are they covering that's already been covered somewhere else? How much new material? Yeah, because somebody comes up with, say, let's just say there's a Savage Worlds version of a game. And then somebody does a power by the apocalypse hack of that same game. <laughs> how many, how much different are those two things? How much more material needs to be written to justify the switchover? Am I getting something that I don't already know about Cthulhu by buying this new version? That's fair. That's fair. I I get it. I got a kick out of like the um, Green Ronin approach to Freeport. Like, uh, okay, they own Freeport, so they'll release a version of Freeport for every system they feel like. Really- <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> but yeah. they're doing it themselves. Right. Sure. So, you know, all they're doing is, is rehashing their own material in, in different ways to make it accessible to people. But sure enough, somewhere on the line, I've managed to get my copy of, uh, you know, Freeport this, that for every game system they make it for. Some of those systems I've never played. Right. And then may not get around to. But I love the setting. So since it happened to be something that grabbed me. And I have run a Savage Worlds Freeport or Freeport game. I have run a D&D Freeport game. And I've run like, um, what did I do? I made like a, a Freeport fiasco playset. It was before I met you. So don't, don't feel bad. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I, I love the idea that, that uh, it really kind of served for, the, for me at the time, that idea that the setting was more than uh, just an expression of a rule set or something. It, it, was, it was something that was alive and ver- versatile. Right. And it was, it was fun to kind of uh, demonstrate that to my players by creating new avenues to so that once they knew it and liked it you know and, and connected to it okay now we're gonna do it over here and it works but i i just de- i definitely um I, I definitely prefer to see new ideas across the board most of the time you know something right. that i haven't seen before and, and i mean you'll get a certain amount of that in you know a lot of new products and then a lot of the same like that treat retread and I, 
I don't know if I want to fault people for that. I mean, we all come from that background, right? I mean, you, you've played the games you've played and you enjoy what you enjoy. Sometimes reinventing the wheel is the last thing on your mind when you want to create and get something out there. Right. But, you know, who, who are you selling to? You know, the person who has already bought 18,000 products just like yours, you know, do something different. I, I think protocol is really great. They're very different. So. I, I think I agree with what you're saying. I think that there's a difference. I mean, if I sit down and play Dark Sun, or Ravenloft, mm-hmm. right? I want 700 pages of lore. Yes. To create a campaign. I just spent, I just ran a Twilight 2000 campaign. I must have spent 80 <laughs> hours getting it ready because <laughs> I wanted to make sure I knew where everything was and who was doing what and all these stories going on in the background. Well, there's, there's got to be like 40,000 pages of Twilight 2000 <laughs> material yeah. out there too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But when I'm sitting down with anything modern, because I want the players to be part of the world building now, I think in any kind of modern game you want you, you want agency for the players, not only for their character, but for the the environment that they're playing. And they should feel like authors. Yeah. They should feel like they, they're invested. You have to write the least amount of lore possible so that they can build it themselves. Do you see anything anything new that really grabs you? I mean, I don't know how much you look at look around for it. But is I, there, is I there had much my of that head down for so long. Um, yeah. There's a World War One game that I'm still waiting for my Kickstarter copy. I cannot remember. Never going home. Hmm. Okay. Um, I was. I'm really excited for the lore. I don't care about the mechanics of it because I can do whatever I want. But I'm really excited to see the lore of what they've done with it with Undead and World War One. Um, hmm. Cool. There was a fantasy game that came out about ten years ago called. It's on my shelf over here. What the heck is it called? The Darkest Age, I think. And I thought I really wanted to see that done with something other than D twenty. And so it would have been interesting to see somebody do a Middle Ages undead game. Um, what a mixed with, bag, right? Yeah. The, the OGL created this opportunity for people to get stuff out there and in the hands of the people that probably never would have otherwise seen it. But by the same token, it made people lazy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because all that there's a I gotta I gotta bash this game. I don't mean to do this, but I have to bash this game as an example of what not to do. Okay. Somebody recently did a Greek fifth edition world. I don't I don't remember the name of it. Somebody people will know what I'm talking about and okay. they can yeah. they can leave I think comments. I do actually. Yeah. But all they did was rename all the classes that are already in the book and they didn't change any of the mechanics. So oh. they just put this really thin skin onto fifth edition and done no work whatsoever. And I, wow. I think I'm talking with Brian Berg. We're talking about doing a project together over at TPK. Mm-hmm. And I want to do something where we eliminate the core 13 character classes. And we do, we, I can't, I don't want to give away too much, but we do D and D the way that we think bridges styles of play. So you're not just stuck with the, the striker, the healer, the magic user, the tank, whatever they're called now, whatever the nomenclature is now. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you're not stuck in those archetypes and you can build a new way of playing D&D. I'd be really curious to see how that goes. Uh, that's, yeah. you know, that sort of thing really interests me because it there, there are, I like, well, you know, we're D&D players, but there's, there's definitely uh, something in the game that we love, but there's always things that it feels like you're hitting a wall with. And because we don't play the traditional, you know, I, I, ironically, I'm actually running kind of a traditional dungeon right now, but... Uh, we don't play the traditional, you know, uh, go into the dungeon, kill the monsters, get the loot kind of game. We, we, you know, right. we, we do stories and plots and do a lot of intrigue. And it just we, we just want to tell stories with the system that we already love. It isn't really sufficient sometimes. And, and I really got to push for it. I, I guess one of the things I actually like with 5e is that it feels like they loosened up a lot and said, you know, well, you've done what to do, just kind of figured it out, which felt like it was going back to when I was, you know, a kid. <laughs> 
<laughs> but I didn't know what to do, so I made it up anyway. Right, right. But yeah, I, I don't know. I'd, I'd be really anxious to see what you guys come up with. I, I tried. I don't know if I talked about this last time I was on the podcast. I ran the Vecna. I ran a Vecna story at a convention. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think you mentioned it. Maybe. Okay. Then I, I don't need to bring it up again. People can. Uh, but I, I think what I want to say about that is people that show up with no expectation versus people who show up with all of their habits. Mm-hmm. Those two different groups generate very different experiences for everybody and themselves. <laughs> and never the twain shall meet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I think once you get it in your head and I don't want to I don't want to cast aspersions at people who are extremely left brain. Right. But right. People on that side of the aisle are the ones that lock on to a specific way of looking at Dean. D and it is not malleable for them. I think that's just Which the nicest way I can say it. Yeah. And, and I'm not, if they're having fun, fine. Yeah. I'm not yeah, discounting yeah. that. But what I want to say is that if that person's at the table and I hear this story all the time, we would play your game, Jim, but there's one guy at our group that wouldn't like it. And I know without fail who that guy is, right? I don't even have to meet him. I can picture him in my mind. He's that guy that owns all the books, knows all the numbers, shows up with his laptop. He's spreadsheeting his Pathfinder character and he's just engaging the numbers and he's not there for any other experience. Yeah, And that guy is holding your table hostage. And you cannot get anything else out of D&D or any of these games. And you're right. I mean, it's it's a valid uh, approach to gaming. That's what you're there to sure. do. Absolutely. As long as, as long as you are doing it with a compatible group, as long as you are you know, in a place where that's the kind of uh, gaming experience you can have and still contribute something to everybody else's gaming experience, I guess. I, I play video games that if I told you I played them, you would be shocked because they're so mind-lumbingly dumb. But <laughs> I, I too, like anybody else, need a break from overthinking game design. But if I'm sitting down at a table with other people, I want everybody part of that story. Otherwise, why are you here? Why are you taking a seat if you're not going to engage? Going back to Brian, Berg, we tried playtesting one of his game worlds at an Iowa game convention I was at, and he told everybody, I'm trying to do something different here. I want you to really get into your character and describing your actions. And three of them just sat there waiting for the GM to tell them what to do and roll their dice. Yeah, He was explicit about what he wanted. It was pretty lengthy intro. And here I was, I'm casting spiritual hammer, but I turn it into a skull that's slowly cracking and getting destroyed with each use oh, nice. as a visual description, <laughs> right? Of how my little goblin uh, spellcaster works. And the other guys are just, I rolled a 20. Does that hit? I rolled a 19. Does that hit? I have a, a couple of players who are just, um, they're, they're so creative when it comes to stuff like that. Bridging the gun, the gap between what they can imagine as possible and the world that we all right. share. And uh, I mean, those those players, you just you nurture, you do right. everything you can to to keep them invested and and stay engaged. My daughter's quickly turning into one of those. You know, she she doesn't tell me she's casting a spell anymore. She says, "Well, I'm going to pull this out and do this and say these words and junk." And I mean, she she's living in the living in the moment and and finding it. Right, right. And that's I, and that's great. Yeah, I, I wish I, I don't want to say the rest of my play players aren't like that. I mean, we, I have really great, you know, and I was just, I'm not just saying that because some of them listen. I mean, I have, a, I have a really great group. I know how rare that is. You know, the, right. the people, people have, have uh, found themselves uh, attracted to the style of gaming that me and my family is, is indulging in. And if they don't, they usually don't stick around. You yeah. Know, that, that's fair. But, uh, but I do, I, I can say that I, I always seem to run into people, especially of course, in the community. So that I just, you know, you feel like they could handle it if they would just let go a little, you know, just, just get into it. Just, just imagine what it'd be like. <laughs> 
I want to I want to talk about two things real quick uh, based on what you just said. One, I, I've got a, a book coming. It's GM advice. I've been compiling for a long time. Excellent. I don't know when I'm going to get it done, but it'll eventually be out. And it talks about this thing. I love those this kind of, of thing. Products, One, too. a lot of times players are just trained wrong by bad GMs. So we can't get mad at every single player that doesn't know any better. Control freak GMs will break your spirit as I'd a like, player. I'd like to think that's not as common in the kind of the contemporary gaming world. But our also our hobby has a lot of bad habits. Yeah, you know? it does. It does have a lot of habits. The second I want to talk about is that there are two moments that gamers can have that are going to change. There's three moments. There's the first time they sit down to play a role-playing game and go, oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> uh, then there's the aha moment. And the aha moment is, oh, gaming can do this. That's yeah. fascinating. Oh, I have more power than I thought I had, or I have more agency than I thought I had. And then there's the oh shit moment. And not everybody has the oh shit moment, but the oh shit moment, or I think I call it holy shit moment in the book, um, <laughs> is when you realize that not, you're walking away from a game experience you've never had before. And you realize that if you allow yourself to be immersed, that is different than the game master creating an immersive experience. I've seen that happen with people. Yeah. You know, and, and I feel like it's fascinating and you find yourself wanting to, well, I know that's me, isn't it? I, I'm that guy. I find myself wanting to, you know, shake them and ask them more, ask them questions, get them to analyze what just, you know, what they just went through. And, and, and yet at the same time, I always feel like it's a little fragile. <laughs> let's, let's let them breathe. Right. Yeah. Right. My, my aha moment was reading actually one of Janelle Jackway's books. It wasn't even at the table. And my holy shit moment was running uh, Legend of the Five Rings for a group of my friends and realizing that they're along with me. They're with me along this ride where I'm going to tell a different kind of story. Um, and once I had those moments, I mean, that just changed gaming for me. I wish I could remember. I, I, I want to say, I, I feel like I can relate to the, each of these, each of these moments, those ideas. I, I wish I could remember what that might've been. And, and part of my problem I know is that I have spent uh, almost 40 years on the backside of the screen. Right, 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 right. You know, I, I, I don't have enough and I and I don't complain about it because that's that's the gaming I love. Right. You know, obviously, I wouldn't be so addicted to it. I I do get out there, and you know, obviously, I enjoy I enjoy all of the, I enjoy all of it. You know, I, I enjoy playing a character. I enjoy playing I, I enjoy playing your GMless games, for example. That's a whole different experience. Right. And you know, it doesn't require anybody to be that arbitrator. You know, that that mediator or anything like that. But there has always been an appeal to being somebody who created on such a scale, you know, creating the worlds and, and um, the, the hooks and feeding the players all these ideas that allow them to, you know, deviate from their, from their hard plan or organically create new char character experiences, or, you know, just develop new ideas. I, I cherish that. And so I look for it. I think so, you know, in a way, as a game master, as kind of a career game master, my aha moment has been always through somebody else's experiences you know yeah uh, yeah yeah and we've had more than a few of the holy shits <laughs> yeah i i think I, there's i'll maybe i'll have to include this in the book but talking about watching other people have their yes. aha and holy shit moments because there is something to that there's something cathartic <sighs> that's a good word yeah uh, there there's there's definitely so much to learn about yourself in what you enjoy and what you indulge in and how it how it feeds you how it infects you, you so know, why, can i can i tell a story i've never told anybody absolutely uh so something happened to me years ago i don't i don't want to get into the details but a, a family member passed away and i didn't ever really talk with it about it publicly i never dealt with it i didn't even tell my friends 
really when it happened. But a week later, I was at the gaming table. I had to get back into gaming, right? I didn't want right. to wallow in my funk. And I got back to the gaming table and I was pulling, I was running a game. I was pulling moments about their death into the game for oh, me. Gosh. Gosh. Right. And it was so important that I do that in the way. And I, I know that sounds weird, right? Cause that makes me sound like a really weird gamer, but for, for me, it was, look, this just happened. I don't really feel like talking about it in the real world, but allow me for a moment to at least acknowledge that it happened. Even if you don't know what's happening, right? I don't think any of the players in that moment realized I was pulling events from my family into the game. Right. I did my best not to make it anything like that, but it was such looking back, it was such an emo, uh, such an important evolutionary step for me as a person to just use this tool properly and say, look, gaming can be more for me than just making fart jokes with my friends while we drink beer. It can be it can be a tool that we all use. When it gets visceral, you sometimes you you don't even know. You don't know where you're going to end up. You don't even know what it's going to do to you. So and that's that's great. I mean, self exploration yeah. is is always advantageous, even when we don't like it. Yeah, I I think there is a habit sometimes for us to sit down. I watch a lot of people playing Apocalypse World do this, where they sit down and they make a character and they just want to talk about that character and all that they've done or accomplished or what who they are and what they are. If that character doesn't somehow engage with the other ones, if your background doesn't somehow fit in with the other ones or engage the world itself, that character is inside of a vacuum. Right. And we have these, I, I believe we all do this, right? I'm not casting blame. We all have narcissistic moments when we're gaming, we just show Absolutely. up in a bad mood and we take it out on the other players and we don't really give a shit about the story anymore. And we just want to wreck shop. And that's yeah. when the tavern gets burned down or whatever. <laughs> I think if you use those moments in a more constructive manner, it could be a version of therapy for people, right? It's okay that you had a shitty week at work. It's not okay to bring the table down with it. I, I think the trick is, and it's, um, it's, it's important obviously, because you have to be willing to kind of, you know, look at what you're doing, look at what you're feeling and, and, and work it out. But the, uh, cause catharsis doesn't actually do anything for you if you don't stop and consider what it means you know it's, it's like it's just it's just an experience that's there and gone and you'll always question why it happened but why like i um i ran a campaign uh well it's been out 20 years now but i ran a campaign uh that my mom was in and my mom grew up catholic mm-hmm. and she uh i mean and she was a wonderful role player she was very engaged and uh you know she'd been a a uh, she loved fantasy and been reading since she was a kid, you know, and had um, all this uh, all this creativity kind of pent up in her. Can, can never... I interrupt you for a second? Yeah, yeah. For people listening, I've met Eric's mom. She's a great lady. I really cool. like her. <laughs> She's um, cool. Anybody can just talk to her, walk up and talk to her, and you feel like you've known her forever. There's no there's no boundary there. That was a lot of the re- uh, relationship that my friends seem to have. I think that's why I made her so accessible as a gamer to come to my table with my friends as I got older. You know, not just when I was a teenager or whatever, but, you know, when I was an adult with adult friends that were my age, not her age. <laughs> right. You know, oh, Eric's mom is going to play. Oh, this ought to be good. <laughs> um, but she, she was, yeah, she's very accessible. And uh, she played a character who ended up being kind of very much a, organically a leader type in their group. And But she went through a kind of a crisis of faith. And I realized at some point talking to my mom during this period, and it wasn't like a quick thing. It wasn't like a couple of sessions. I think this was a campaign that went on for like four years. But the character, it inadvertently with the character, she spent a lot of time exploring things that had always been troublesome for her personally right she'd grown up in catholic school and she'd gotten out of it when she was like a teenager and and her parents split and she moved to a different place i mean 
she she had you know, when I was young. I remember trying different faith, different churches, you know, and she was always trying to find herself and figure out what was going on in life. And I mean, she eventually came to peace with all that as a much later. I mean, like we're talking the last twenty years, you know, after this period when I think was she was doing was in, a, in unintentionally using that experience to figure out how she felt. The biggest distinction was that when you're playing a D and D character who has a a faith-based orientations, particularly when they become high-level characters, there is a direct link to your deity. There's a god in the game that is somebody who is visceral and real and and tangible and and gives you magic and all that. And so it was a different kind of experience than you can get from her. She could get from her own religious confusion, you know, And, and, and I always thought, well, how does that help you? Because, I mean, that is so clearly fantasy. Uh, but her character, I mean, she told me years later, so that character was a real exploration for her and gave her a chance to come to terms with a lot of stuff she didn't understand about herself and her youth. I know a ton of people that would use gaming as a way of exploring their gender identification mm-hmm. or their sexuality. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. When yeah. I was young, it was awkward, right? But now as an adult, I look back and I go, wow, I'm really glad that I wasn't a judgmental asshole in that moment about what they were doing. Because if I was, that that would have been problematic. Yeah, I think when I was as a kid, I was really kind of like uh, oblivious. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I don't know what I don't want you guys doing. As long as you're having a good time, I'm going to be over yeah. here behind my screen, throwing my hands in the air dramatically. And and I will honestly say to this day, I I still at my age, after all these years of gaming, I still struggle to play a female character. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah I can't, and yeah, I don't sure. know what that is about me. I can't even begin to explain it, but it's just. I feel like I'm encroaching in somebody else's space and I don't want to do it wrong. And that's one of those, um, the, especially with gender um, identity, I, that's one of those things that I think people, there are, there are some people that, uh, well, I mean, we've all known guys that play that want to play a, a woman because that's some sort of, you know, in, internal fantasy. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. There's there's the uh, the the forbidden the uh, the excitement of it, right? There's right. others who are exploring something that is alien to them, and that's what they want out of it. Sure. You know, this isn't something. Then there's other people you know are exploring something that maybe they don't blatantly feel like belongs to them, but some part of them it does. And so there's that. And sometimes those people play it really well, and you wonder. <laughs> right. Right. I think some people are are really good chameleons, and so they they have a, a strength going on there. And I mean, I like taking it when I'm game mastering. It's very different. I'll take on the role of all these different kinds of sure, characters because sure. you're just getting the, sur- yeah, you're getting the surface of them for yeah. about five minutes and then I move on. But I think to be in the skin of, of a character like that, I, I don't want to, maybe when I was younger, I wouldn't have had the same sensibility, but now as a, that I'm older, I don't want to do it wrong. I don't want to disrespect somebody yeah. by playing a gay character in front of another gay person that, that, that <sighs> would be offensive to me if I was somehow... Yeah. I'm sorry. It, no. it would hurt my feelings if I shamed somebody in some way. Yeah. With my good bad way playing. That's what I'm trying to say. I, I definitely understand why you say that. And I, I would, although I probably have never thought twice about it because I don't spend that much time playing characters. And then as a D, as a GM, like you said, there's kind of a license to kind of do whatever because you're just portraying an idea. You just kind right. of throw it up there. But I have players who, you know, they they definitely stretch, and I don't think it would ever even occur to them to question that, right? Right. So, and you wonder, is that because that's something that isn't even on their radar, or is that something that doesn't matter to them the same way, or something that they just aren't uncomfortable with? But like my daughter has played a male character, and I mean, she made a study of doing it very well, and he was, um, but he was also young and unsure. 
one of the other players at my table who I'm pretty sure has, I, well, I don't want to get into it, but I mean, he, he played a woman and they ended up married. And I could swear after four years of these you guys playing these characters, I would not be able to tell you for sure how genuine it is or isn't. Yeah. You know, because they just feel so natural and it isn't about trying to do something you're not or trying to put yourself out there. It's just playing the character and keeping that part of the character's identity core to their behaviors and, and core to their presentation in the game. I so, think you know, don't get people people misuse the word trust a lot when they're talking about gaming. They think that trust is, oh, I got to make sure that guy's not cheating on his die rolls. Trust mm. is feeling safe enough to play when you're playing, to, to let go of as many of your masks as you can to sit down and be you. And there's got to be a lot of trust at your table for that to happen for what you're saying. Yeah, I, uh, I, I find it interesting that I know so many gamers with such you know, huge anxiety issues too. And you got to wonder, it's like they get to a table, sometimes with strangers, and you, you set all that aside because there's the icebreaker, the fact that you're all there in game. Right. But, but man, it's got to be frustrating. <laughs> it's got to be scary. Yeah, friends are one thing though. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I honestly think that if you go to a game convention and you don't know anybody at that table, you might be freer to play in a way that you wouldn't play with your group. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, unless you're somebody that, you know, just you, you clamp up because that doesn't there's no safety net there. Sure, sure. Absolutely. Yeah. I think both I think both exist. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it, it's fascinating to me. I mean, different players have different different needs and different ways they approach, you know, uh, character and and story. And yeah. I focus so much on on those things, you know, character, story, narrative as the the core gaming experience. I know I, I focus on that more than a lot of other gamers do, right? Because it's what I want out of the game. I don't necessarily expect everybody I'm playing with to want the same things, but it gives me the opportunity to explore and exploit that, you know. But I, I don't necessarily know how to relate because I, you know, my hangups are different than your hangups or, or whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And and the key is the key is is just not to be a dick about other people's hangups. Well right? said. And and not to put your you can't if if everybody is putting the game before their own personal needs it's safer for everybody right yeah i i use the x card wherever i play but in my mind we don't need to use the x card if we all sit down and agree we're here for the game yeah no yeah i've never had it come up at my table yeah and it it isn't because it isn't an option we've had one discussion on the air where we talked about a situation where it might have if it had occurred to the player you know but the the truth is nobody's trying to push anybody's boundaries you know you push your own boundaries if you if you need to and i'll help you you know if if the opening is there but uh, as a fellow player or as a game master, but I don't, uh, I, I don't feel like there's anything, um, any anything lost by just extending a little common courtesy and and being aware of whatever other you know other people right. are feeling and dealing with at the at the game table. In as much as they demonstrate it, and some people don't, you know, some people just clam up, or or if they have a problem, they just keep it to themselves, and that's fine too. I don't want to, I don't want to dog people thinking that they need to be out there and make a difference. Some people may not be comfortable making an issue of something because sure. that puts a target on them, you know. Or they have to speak up. You know? <laughs> I have personally never used the the X card myself, but I'll run a, a protocol, for instance, and I'll spend a drama point to say, no, that thing you just said is stupid. Let's, <laughs> let's remove that from the story, right? Is that the language you use? <laughs> I don't believe that I said stupid. I, I did that to my friend Howard because he was ruining a protocol. Sure. <laughs> I said, oh, that's so fucking stupid. Come on. <laughs> 
and right. and so we we moved on from there but by using the drama point i'm actually asserting authority within the game context and i'm saying i don't like that thing creatively if if i had used the x card i think that that's rude because it's a, it's essentially saying your contribution uh is hurting me and my hurting me emotionally or hurting me physically right it's hurting me in a way that I, I just don't want to see it. But for me to spend the drama point and say, no, that's dumb. That, right. That you're hurting the story by making these talking sheep. Just what kind of and what kind of game do you think we're playing? At least at least you had a mechanism for it right there. In yeah, the game. yeah. And that's why that kind of stuff is built <laughs> in to a lot of the games that I make is uh, for people. If you're not comfortable using the X card, you do have this tool within the game to say, no, that's dumb. That's not good for the canon. Completely redesign the narrative right there. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's cool. And it's costing me a point to do it, right? I can't just... Right. No, yeah, yeah. It's You're not just... It's not for the sake of being that guy. Yeah. Because otherwise you're writing the whole story for everybody. There's this guy I used to play with. His name was Dave. He would... He was the master at creating canon within a game to the point where only one possible ending could exist. But the mechanics didn't support what he was doing. So it didn't matter if the ending, say, uh, to a Praxis game said, this is the ending you get because that's the only one left on your character sheet. That's going to override everything that you've been trying to build to funnel funnel us into the one ending you wanted for the world. Hmm. Um, Yeah. And so the mechanics in that case are there to protect you as well from that kind of player who wants to override everybody else's creativity makes sense and it feels uh, it feels organic enough that I, I mean it wouldn't even most situations nobody would even think to question it anyway right I think good. the key uh, just to, to get back to game design a little bit about what I've been making is that I think the key to making better games if you're a young designer out there and you want to do this you have to play with lots of different groups and see different kinds of players habits to be able to address and react and say well that guy that wants to talk over everybody he can't do that in this game the guy that just makes the one character that makes the character that's all about him can't do that in this game because other people get scenes right um and that's what protocol was based on if you play praxis correctly you can keep that guy from dominating the story uh, there was this guy i gotta tell this story there's this guy that showed up for my game lady winter mm-hmm. and he was a friend of somebody else's i didn't know him but i could tell from minute one that he was going to be a pain in the ass and so every time there was an interlude that i was directing i made sure he was in it so he wasn't getting drama points so at the end of the <laughs> game he had no impact whatsoever on the finale Um, and so that's a tactic right to and it's legitimate right he can write whatever story he wants within the 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 scenes he's in but at the end i didn't want that guy ruining the story the rest of us had been building yeah that's brilliant actually and and, yeah i I guess it feels a little underhanded when you explain it that way but I, I do the same thing in board games where you can control mm-hmm. how many armies or points or whatever another player gets. If somebody has analysis paralysis, I make sure he gets the least amount of points for that round or the least amount of options, right? Because I don't want to sit there and watch him think. Not to mention when you limit the options, it makes it easier for that player. Yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, I don't want to pretend you're doing him a favor, but you know what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not doing it for him. I'm doing it for me, certainly. I, <laughs> I am a very different kind of player when I'm playing a board game, right? I'm extremely competitive and yeah, I can see I, that. I've done horrible things in tournaments to people to get them kicked out when it's a cash prize. I'm not even going to defend my behavior. There's a cash prize. <laughs> this is a competition. I don't really <laughs> care what you're thinking. Some guy left the table for too long. I called the judge over. I said, he's holding up the game. This is a tournament. We're timed cash prize. Yeah, Pinto needs out. a pair of shoes. 
Yep. Yeah, that's awesome. I ended up winning, I think, 55 bucks too. So I, <laughs> I'm not, I do not feel bad for that guy. Paid for, paid for a couple lunches or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If we yeah. were playing casually, I, it's a totally different experience, but I'm in a sure. tournament. I just, I think I just revealed the worst side of myself to everybody on the podcast. Everybody's listening. Oh my God. I barely liked Jim before, but now I really don't <laughs> like him. I just you lost know. Tom. Tom doesn't like me now. Yeah, you know, he'll stick around though. It's okay. <laughs> It's good. It's all good. He likes me, so we're good. Uh, or at least he likes my show. He said so. I, he didn't actually say me personally. Now that I think about it, I may be presuming a lot there. Yeah, um, you, uh, you said you were doing some other podcasting. What do you guys been? What have you been recording for? Well, I uh, I was Brandon and I sometimes do the heavy metal podcast, mm-hmm. um, Metal Workshop. We sometimes record on there. Uh, and the other day we were trying to record. Uh, we were going to talk about gatekeeping and gaming, and we got so far off on a tangent. Then I just said, okay. <laughs> We, we can't use this episode, so it'll never Gatekeeping's happen. complicated, too. It's, it's well, yeah, and I so was, prolific. <laughs> I was actually talking about the positive aspects of gatekeeping, calling it curating, where you're trying Ooh. to... Like yeah, that. we could certainly do an episode about that if you ever wanted to do it. But <laughs> talking about when gatekeeping is good and not, not because you're keeping out women or gay people, but because you're trying to make sure your your style of play doesn't go off the rails and become Eberron, right? If you like, <laughs> if you like Greyhawk, Eberron's the exact opposite kind of gaming, right? Sure. Yeah, yeah I get what you're saying. Yeah. So you're when you're curating rather than gatekeeping, when you're curating, you're protecting Greyhawk from becoming something anachronistic to what you want your world to be. That's an interesting point. I like that. Yeah, and I, I think everybody does the curating to some degree, right? They just don't have a term for it. Well, There's I mean, no language for it. Obviously, when you're when you're behind the screen, that's part of the job, right? So I, I wouldn't really have thought of it that way. But everybody has the opportunity uh, at the table. Everybody has the opportunity to influence the nature and impact of the game experience on everybody else. It's just a matter of how you use it, whether that's, you know, making, you know, communicating with your fellow players and your GM, what those interests are and, right. and coming up with ways that they'll make it better for everybody. Or whether that's, you know, doing things in game or at the table to kind of stylize things the way you like. Right. You know, there's always options and then it's a game. I mean, right. So it's, it's nobody, nobody's there to be butthurt about it. Nobody's experience is expected to be, you know, perfect every time either. Right. So but tone is such a weird thing because mm-hmm. it, people listen to me bitch about movies all the time on Facebook because I'm I'm kind of persnickety about tone. I'm kind of persnickety. I don't like any of the Thor movies. Some sure. people will say, well, Thor 3 was fun. Oh, Thor 3 it. was stupid. Yeah, and but you, I loved it. If, <laughs> yeah, and you're allowed to love it, but please don't make me accept that tone for a superhero movie that <laughs> ends up going that dark at the end. Right. Did, did you know we do a movie cast now? No, I did not know that. Yeah, I wouldn't. I would never have told you, except I happen to be talking to you, and you happen to bring it up. <laughs> you because you know it's exactly the kind of thing you would never waste your life listening to. Oh, I, but I tell funny. you what, I tell you what, because I am a movie whore and I freaking love everything. Um, my friend Jason, you know, from my from my show, from, from Jason our, Simmons. Yeah, 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 yeah. He uh, he's the opposite of me. He 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 loves movies, but he reminds me of you in this way, just with different tastes. I'm sure. He loves movies, but he is exceedingly critical. Yeah, and uh, and not in a dismissive way. That that's why we could we could do a show real well together because he doesn't come off as somebody who's trying to tell you what you should love. Right, he's just right, telling right. you that it's shit. Yeah. <laughs> so we have this show, and we have Richard and our friend Vanessa on it, and and one of my old friends, a kid, and we we get together and we we have kind of a system for it, you know, where we break it down and we you know I do all the stats and stuff about the movie and we talk about stuff we liked and didn't like and. 
uh, play a bunch of clips. And I mean, it's, it's a fun show. We just do it because it's fun. But yeah. uh, I, I mean, I, we just the conversations we've had are nothing are nothing we ever would have had if we hadn't had this medium to talk about it. Because Jason <laughs> right. and I love talking about movies, but we figured out a long time ago we do not have the same opinions, and it yeah. drives yeah, yeah. us both batty. And we didn't know how badly different those opinions were until we started doing this. And I will start a show and I will be talking off the top about how much I liked this or that. I love this movie. And Jason's over there dying a little inside every time I open my mouth. But that part of the part of the structure is that there's a point in that show that he gets to say his piece without anybody saying one way or the other anything. Right. And it's a good, respectful group. That's a lot of fun to hang out with. But man, yeah, you would hate it. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm not going to pull. I'm not pulling movies that are just, you know, classic, you know, wonderful films either. (laughs) That's that would be fun. (laughs) <laughs> there's something fun about hate watching something sure right uh, i can't remember the last time i sat down and hate watch something i thought it was snow crusher or something it was uh so b movie what's that no not spirit snow piercer this oh, is a b else. movie where this ski lodge gets hit with an avalanche and this oh, town wow. gets never heard of it yeah okay yeah this town gets separated from the rest of the the world mm. and because of the avalanches surrounded the town now and then these these meteors of snow are exploding it's just bad right just garbage from stem to stern and i had so much fun watching it because it was all about oh my god what's the next stupid thing they're gonna do oh my god i can't believe how dumb that was there's a a netflix movie called space sweepers have you seen that one space sweepers space sweepers it's a korean film no it's freaking good (laughs) and it's very questionable in places but the story surprised me jonica and i sat down and watched it the other night i don't uh she watches a lot of well you know that she watches a lot of korean dramas and stuff yeah yeah uh, but this was like a space sci-fi-ish kind of you know future dystopian kind of thing and it was actually i thought really good i mean i thought this the story like i said it surprised me which you don't get a lot of that you know i mean it wasn't that it was completely original it just it twisted and turned in a way i didn't see coming but uh i I enjoyed it quite a bit and i was surprised because usually a lot of those uh a lot of those mm, they don't have the same ideas of what they what they wanted a movie (laughs) and my and my wife certainly doesn't we don't we don't have a lot of the same tastes but uh, that, that's a that's a one. It's it's on Netflix right now. You gotta check it out. Uh, Space sweepers. Okay. They're like, they're like salvage um, salvage people in in orbit. So like basically like the equivalent of janitors in in space. You know. But it's uh uh. Let me know. Let me know right. how bad it was. I, I'd be really curious. I'll put it in my queue. I don't know when I'll get to it, but I'll, I'll <laughs> no no rush. <laughs> I'm sure uh, I'm sure it should be real, really really low. You know. Uh, but I I uh I, I like the idea. Yeah, and it comes back to gaming and everything. Thing. I mean, I like the idea that not only are our our tastes that vary from one person to another, which I mean, those are all informed by such a broad panoply of things, but our tastes um, can be diverse and uh, even contradictory, but that doesn't make them incompatible at some level. You know, we can still share experiences over it. And that's why I love like exploring things in this kind of forum or this kind of medium, because you know, you get right down to it. I'm going to have different opinions than you about stuff, but you and I can have a conversation about it. And I enjoy hearing your opinions quite a bit. Right. And hopefully so the listeners, because I'm more than happy to put you on the air. And if they don't, they haven't told me yet. So that's <laughs> Oh, another Pinto episode. I, can, I don't need to watch this one. That's true. Why do you label these episodes? Yeah. yeah, I do put your name right there. So yeah. it's, it's fair. I have no idea. I haven't, looked at the, I haven't looked at the numbers. I'm probably better off that way. Uh <laughs> 
I, I like a lot of what you just said. I think when we're talking about gaming, mm-hmm. there is there's that step that you go through when you're 14, 15, you first get into the hobby and it's all power gaming. Yeah. And you don't have any taste yet. Right. I think you're just playing the game the way you think it's supposed to be played or the way you were taught. Yeah, you don't or, know different. And yeah, if yeah. you have if you have learned it at the, you know, somebody else's table, they're the same way. Yeah, you know, because it was yeah. it was such a we were younger, it was such an immature hobby at the time. Yeah, you know, that's what everybody I, did. I, I think that until you can get to the point where you can say why you like a thing, you can't really identify your taste, right? Uh, for somebody to say, well, I really like playing this. I really like playing this. I really like playing this. Well, why do you like Deadlands so much? Can you tell me what it is that you like about it so much? Mm. Well, I get to be a gunslinger with a gun. Okay, that's not... That, that, that's we can't not unique a, to Deadlands. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. We can't have a conversation about that. So there has to become, there has to be this step to a higher plateau conversation before any of us can engage, right? Otherwise, you're just talking about, well, wow, I really like the boobies on that robot in Gundam 7. Okay, well, well that's not really what the movie's about, but okay, if that's your analysis. Yeah, that's th- that's fair, though. You know, uh... <laughs> <laughs> it's a fair analysis, but it's not deep and there's nowhere else for the conversation to go. That's true. That's true. I, I, I don't necessarily know um, what kind of expectations expectations we should have of ourselves and people vary again by their ability yeah. to even you know be critical uh, or even self you know and analytical themselves or their or their interests or their hobby and some people are obviously going to be uncomfortable with their own interests you know i've talked about this before on other podcasts the uh, the the importance of nomenclature and taxonomy in any hobby whether it's music or whatever the subgenres are defined so that you know what you're looking for. They're not there to be puritanical boundaries that stop you from being experimental within your subgenre. Oh God, but that's so true. If if I tell you that I don't like garble metal, that that should tell you stop recommending extreme metal bands to me because I'm not going to listen to them. But if sure. I say yeah. I really like prog metal, but I don't like derivatives of dream theater, that, <laughs> that should tell you what I'm looking for. And the, the same would be true of it, somebody else's opinion or whatnot. But yeah. these aren't puritanical boundaries that should stop people from enjoying music or enjoying games. That's an interesting point. I guess maybe a lot of us just kind of assume if somebody hasn't tried something, they don't know what they're talking about. Right. Right. Obviously, that isn't strictly true. I mean, we all have, like, like you said, context is kind of a bad word, but we all have something to build from to form an opinion or an observation right. about ourselves or our interests or our needs. Right. So, and, and there's a yeah. certain point in your life, like if you're, say, 14 years old, you've experienced your brain is still growing, right? Mm-hmm. You're not even halfway done with your brain growing. And so you're 14, you think you've experienced everything that's possible for you to experience. And so you start becoming an expert on those things. <laughs> and you don't realize how little it is, you know, I'm much yeah. older now. I know that if you say there's a new Star Wars thing, ah, let me just cut you off right there. I don't care. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I, you could tell me it's the greatest thing ever invented. I've uh, been tricked too many times by Star Wars. I'm not going to fall for it. Mandalorian was pretty good. <laughs> I didn't watch it. <laughs> is it. But it's more of a Western, you know. It's kind sure, of sure. Good. But but I'm, I'm just messing That's up. where these classifications have value, is to help us analyze what it is that we want to enjoy and what we don't want to enjoy well, anymore. Analy- I mean, communicate, obviously, more than anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's, it's as unreliable as it is, you're right about the intent. You know, if, if we could just pay a little attention to that, we'd probably have a lot less confusion 
I don't I don't know if you saw the post, but last Christmas I sat down and I watched 30 of those Hallmark yeah, romance. I've seen you talk about that, yeah. And I I I don't like those. I don't want to just I didn't <laughs> want to see them. I did it one for the lark and two to be funny and post this analysis of here's what these movies have to offer. Here's what they did in these. I was floored. I was flabbergasted. Yeah. I'm sure a lot of people were. Like, uh, what are you, I, and, and furthermore could never do it. Yeah. I, I could yeah, yeah. never make myself, I don't care. I could be paid and I'm not sure I could make myself do it. <laughs> and there were some, I could not finish. Right. I, I every, <laughs> and I watched some bad stuff and I would get to these ones by this company. I don't even remember the name. I can open it right now. The files on my desk. I, I remember this, you talking about it. Yeah. There was this company, brain power studios. Anything that brain power studios makes is unfinishable. They are <laughs> so bad. They are so bad. Yeah. It was funny though. It's like, I, I talk about Jason, and I's opinions and, um, how how critical and how down he can get about it and some of the movies we've picked have been movies he's rated very low but he talks about how much he enjoys watching them for the show yeah you know and i I don't know if he really thinks of his hate watching but i think he definitely understands that there's an inherent value in the experience for him and he gets this the pleasure of talking about hashing out and there have been times where we've altered each other's opinions over the course of a conversation. Right. You know, not significantly. Well, that's fantastic. If, yeah. If you're open enough to have your opinion change, that's well, I think that I think that's one of the things that makes it fun, right? Yeah. Is, is not walking into it with a... It, it, I mean, <laughs> just to test myself, a couple of the movies I've picked were Sacred Cows for me. You know, it's like... I mean, I haven't put like The Princess Bride or anything on the chopping block, but, you know, something that I, I dearly loved and thought, this is a movie I'm going to love again and love again. And sure enough, we walk away, watch it, and I'm sitting here going, oh my gosh, there's this sounds problems Uh, but we're going to talk about it as if it doesn't until i have to yeah (laughs) there's a lot of stuff that doesn't age well right so our memories of how great they were that's one of the things we talk about too we like doing older a little bit older movies and some of them we're doing a lot of genre stuff so uh i i feel like there's a a, just a wealth of of uh, I mean, in film at least is is an easy target, but just a wealth of creative experience out there that could use uh, a little long distance reconsideration. And some of it holds up, and some of it doesn't. And some of the a lot of it will hold up in ways you didn't expect, you know, or or will or won't when you expected it would because there's something so contextually. Uh, dated about it or something. And and there's a lot of stuff, of course, if you go back to movies from like the 80s, particularly, that is so far from politically correct at this point that you cringe even if you're not that guy. Right. You know, I, yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know if I, I can't play this clip. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like that. I, I just can't do it. But, but it's, yeah, no, I think that's, um, I think that's great. And there's a, uh, even though you're not necessarily by delving into Hallmark Christmas movies, you're not necessarily, you know, exploring the breadth of, of amazing you know, filmmaking or anything. It's still a body of work that's there that had a purpose. Even if that purpose was for somebody to make a quick buck or something, you know, it's, it's there. Somebody thought it was worth making and it's easy to see that it wasn't, but you can only assume that until you've done it or until somebody. Well, we're it. back to the topic of curating, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, we need to hold again, on to some of this stuff just so we can learn from it and you weren't gatekeeping even then you weren't saying this shit doesn't need to exist and there's no way you can like it you're saying i watched this i've analyzed it here's what i've learned (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) and my mind is not totally mush so i can express it yeah which i uh envy your ability to not be totally mush by then 
good stuff, man. It was fun. I, 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 I was, I, I appreciate some of your rants and stuff. I, I realize that that's probably cost you, cost you some social capital over the years, but yeah, it's fine. It's fine. I, I think you know that I've been uh, banned on Facebook. Um, yeah, and yeah. I don't even know why. I, uh, somebody's oh, coming after me. Somebody's targeting me and reporting me. Who knows? And I just shrug and laugh at it now. At this point, it's okay. I really don't like the site anyway, so you're not hurting me. So I think. Uh, by the way, I'm Johnny and I are coming up to Portland in a couple weeks. Few weeks. Oh, okay. Uh, and we're going to be there for like four or five days. Okay. So it might be fun to come up across the river and see you. Uh, I'm three hours from Portland. Yeah. And I, bad, I right? love Portland. So uh, I'm happy to drive down there. Um, hmm. Or I'll uh, let you know what's can, going on. Uh, or I mean, you can go up here. I'm in, I'm just north of Tacoma. My brother lives in, I can't remember the name of the town now. I didn't look it up, but um, one of the various little towns that are part of that area. Yeah. And of course he works like uh, on 17th or something. I mean, I know exactly where your brother works. Actually. We talked about this last time I saw him. He's uh, uh, right down the street from my favorite barbecue place. Is, is it now he did move shops at one point so i don't know if it's oh, before did he? after that yeah okay uh but he uh we're gonna get uh we're gonna get ink while we're there so it's one of the things yeah. we're doing and uh so we'll be i will be my chance first chance to see his his shop actually it's my first chance to see his life up there at all he's been up there for like seven eight years now and i've never been yeah. there so i'm super stoked about it but we're gonna drive across country and try to kill ourselves on the oh the big really empty. yeah Wow. Wow. Yeah, I don't, well, Portland's I don't, a great town. I really like it. I don't want to deal with planes yet, you know? Yeah. Well, and I get it. it's a long drive, but I mean, it will also stop and see my mom on the way because she's, you know, she's in Colorado and she's getting getting old and in the middle of nowhere. So right. I got to go see her. But I, I, I think it's going to be fun. And I, I thought it'd be great to kind of catch up. I, I know so many people from up that area, but not a lot that I want to hang out with. <laughs> I know? feel the same way about this area. <laughs> <laughs> That's fair. Uh, well, you should have seen my face when I said that. Uh, <laughs> I tried to do the most dry delivery I could. Good job, man. It came through. I felt <laughs> But I'm not chills. laughing, so it doesn't work. Kind of kills it, doesn't it? Uh, so uh, let's um, remind people about the Kickstarter real quick. It's yep. uh, protocol squared. You're, the, the, it's called home, right? Yep, home. And I will put the, I, I said that like, you know, hey, I don't really know. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I'll put the link in the show notes for this and, uh, I'll do some more promoting it. I backed it, went, awesome. ahead, and, went ahead and backed it. Um, I, I backed it. I went ahead and backed it at the PDF level. Cause that's only like nine bucks. Yeah. Fantastic. And, uh, if I have the extra bucks next week, I'll go ahead and kind of itch that up to the soft cover. Cause I'd love to have a physical copy. I've got physical copies of a few of your games. And so, sometimes that's just fun to have on my shelf. So but, here's a secret yeah. that people, I don't really own a lot of copies of my games. Right. Well, you, um, g- I don't you gave a bunch away. A, yeah. I don't bother <laughs> printing a copy for me. And if I do, yeah, I end up shipping it to somebody or giving it away. Well, there, there would be that extra bedroom. I mean, you, you, you yeah. know, just if you didn't fill it with copies of your own games, Jim, you'd have more places to hang out. Yeah. <laughs> No, I get you. I I, I don't um, I, I don't necessarily imagine it's that important to you because the product is there. You have access to it at any time. Yeah, and and you've done it. I mean, it's part of your collective kind of uh, subconscious, I guess. At that point, your, I think if I'd made one book, that would be different. But after you've done this so many times, yeah, it, yeah, it's well, it's and I mean, I, I'm sure it's not a job in the sense that like you know, oh, you know, got to back to the grind because you know, yeah, at no, some no, level no. you're living the dream. But yeah, 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 I wouldn't do this if I didn't love it. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, because I'm sure you're getting rich. Oh. Uh, <laughs> But but there's that sense of um yeah you, know, you have to kind of be aware that uh, creative material for anybody that is consistently coming up with new things or consistently pushing the their own boundaries 
is is part of that that body of work is really just a body at some level. You know, it's it's all just kind of out there. And anytime you get to revisit any of it or talk about it with people or or be you know you know take note of your accomplishment or um, use it as con as 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 a background material for things you're doing or contrast for things you're doing. But it's it's not necessarily going to be something you feel like you have to dwell on. I'd imagine. Um, I've done a ton of of songs and recordings over the years with different people, and I don't think I even have. I probably don't even have digital recordings of all of it. Mostly because a lot of it, some of it was before we had digital recordings of most anything. But I, I don't feel like it's a huge loss. I, I feel like um, I've done a lot that other people have benefited from or enjoyed, and that's what was important to me at the time. So there you go. All right. Is that, is that did I say too much? No, no. no. I, I I think that was a good place to end. Yeah, I, I like the way you think, sir. All right. Well, thank you very much, uh, Jim Pinto, Post World Games. I didn't say that at the beginning, so if you've been listening for the last hour wondering who the hell I was talking to, there you go. I'll, I'll, I'll put it in the title. All right. <laughs> yeah. Don't know what they're getting. As a there. warning, put warning. <laughs> warning. Jim Pinto may be in this episode. <laughs> exactly. Well, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Eric. Thanks for having me on.